The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. He said that life boils down to standing in line to get it dropped on your head. Everyone's got a place in the queue. You can't get out of it. And just when you start to congratulate yourself on surviving your dose of shit, you discover that the line is actually circular. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. My name is Craig Hanks, and I am your host for episode number 199. This is the Republic of Thieves, Gentleman Bastard, book three. And I'm really just sorry that you are joining us after our off-mic conversation uh, about uh, about odd, vaginally-centered um disease is it is it a disease Illness, a disorder malady, like malady of yeah. some kind uh you really missed out anyway but welcome to this discussion i guess uh now i will say i've got to introduce the rest of my group here so if i'm the jean of this group then he's not quite my lock but maybe more like my wicked sisters it's ryan bruckman yeah sit on your back i guess <laughs> wow That is the most speechless I've ever seen, it. Craig. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, oh. we have to erase the uh, so many days since incident for the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Legendarium HR is going to be calling you. And like a bit actress in a Lindsay Lohan comedy, he doesn't even go here. It's Ken Johnson. Yeah, but I'm wearing my hat backward in honor of Kyle. I, I couldn't grow my facial hair that fast. Yes, indeed. We have to excuse Kyle for the day. Kyle is out on a, uh, uh, ca all capital letters, a very important business trip, uh, and he couldn't be here today, so... I do not forgive him. I hold this over his head and will do so for a long time. Okay. Wow. That was unexpected. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I'd be it, more... It's time. It's time I had beef with Kyle, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have a little beef with Kyle, at least. Uh, all right, so today we are talking Republic of Thieves. We'll get to that in just a moment, but first go to patreon.com slash legendarium and support the show. Hit up the legendarium.reddit.com to join the conversation. Ken, how many subscribers did we just pass? We just made it to 1,100 subscribers. Woo -woo. Holla at your boys and Megan also. Yes. Uh, and what else we got? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the things. I really, like, I gotta be honest, I am thinking about cutting something. Maybe I just won't do Instagram anymore. It's just too much. We don't Snapchat. We, oh no, I don't say. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I am a fully grown man. I don't exactly. wear, I don't wear shorts in public and I don't Snapchat. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, I don't know. Should we get started? Is there any, any other throat clearing we want to do, Ryan? Uh, should so. get everybody excited for the 200th episode. It is That's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, guys, get excited when we know what it's going to be. <laughs> I know I know exactly what it's going to be. There's going to be fanfare, confetti. My, my, I, I'm thinking some sort of uh, game show. I'm going game show on this one. So I just figured we'd probably walk in. There'd be like the little... Tiny little Smokies hot dog, something like that, just on a on a toothpick, and we just be celebrating. Oh, like a party platter. Yeah, oh, just yeah. Be something like that. 
Um, anyway, Come so if you, if you know us by now, if you've been with us since the 100th episode, then you'll know that we use these little milestones to just make nonsensical, utterly mm-hmm. masturbatory episodes that are only about us. They're, they're completely self-pleasing. Uh, they'll mean nothing to you. Uh, but, but this time we actually but you'll have listen listeners. to it anyway, because well, hey, we had some listeners for the 100th. We did. I we were doing mom. okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. <laughs> what did, did you hit your head again? <laughs> Ryan is not allowed to sit in that seat anymore. If you'll recall, he hit his head there last time. It's this new format, this new setup we've got. Yeah, I've got it. I've got to change something up, and I will. Damn. But anyway, uh, maybe we should talk about Republic of Thieves, Gentleman Bastard, Book Three. Ken, since you are here, I'm here. you might as well give us your patented uh, synopsis. It's trademarked at this point. All right, here we go. With their biggest score ever going south after their previous biggest score ever went south, the remaining gentlemen bastards go back to doing what they do best, holding on. Locke is poisoned, and Jean is strong-arming every alchemist as physically he can to help a brother out, but Locke's advanced poisoning and subsequent pin- impending death gives the GBs a chance to... I'm just what I'm going with GBs, because why not? A uh, chance to dabble in the passive aggression that is Carthani politics. The Bonds Magi agreed to cleanse the poison from Locke and allow for some classic near-death introspection in exchange for fixing the Car- election in between some politics uh, political subterfuge and we get a little bit of a look at Locke the early years back with the thief makers lair under Shades Hill pining over a girl named Beth who is also known as Sabatha after two books and change Sabbath finally shows back up and we get to see her and Locke's awkward teenage romance blossom of course it has nothing to do with the fact that that she was not coincidentally hired to rig the other side of the Carthani political machine that was so many negatives I, I want to hurt you well, go on. You can't not hurt me. I don't keep reading. And fortune smiles on us because in between all of the lovebirds, angsty teen humping around, we get to see father chains and the Sansa twins again. Rejoice in the backstory. Chains sends the bastards to learn how to be actors because acting helps with convincing cons and the ins and outs of theater life is all sorts of fun turns out in a super twist of all twists, Locke Lamora, orphan thief, gentleman bastard, thorn of Camorra is actually a mistake. He and the plague he crawled out of were the side effects of a super powerful Carthani bonds mage who wanted to bring back his wife from the dead. Meanwhile, in the interlude, the bastards perform Sabbath in love while going all full weekend at Buladazis, and they managed to pin the Baron's death on the head of a troop who was going to backstab him anyway. In the current, the bastards magically orchestrate the unelectrical, or electoral, not electrical. <laughs> Electoral tie. Ryan, I, I think he's still talking. He is. <laughs> Sabbath the disappears. We're at the end, though, I can tell. Locke and Jean, we are, uh, are allowed to walk away without any reward. And the Bonds Magi disappear from Carthane. Oh, and the Falconer patches himself back together and is now ready for some sweet, sweet revenge of his own. So, do we see Sabbath again, or are we done with her now that we got to see her once? And uh, did I miss that we didn't actually see why she left Camorra in the first place? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that we... Did I don't know? I don't we, think we did. I, I don't think, think that would be either. fodder for future flashback yeah. book things. Uh, what was Father Chain's deal? Did he he seemed more like a thief maker than a, a cross between Fagan from Oliver and John Tunstall from Young Guns, kind of raising kids to be respectable? Will we see the Falconer's revenge, or is Locke uh, become dangerous, or is Scott Lynch destined to become you know the next Patrick Rothfuss or George R R Martin? And the we swear we know what this entire series is ending. Trust us, all stars. Back to, yeah, that's. I you know. lost the thread of what you were saying. I really did. I was, I'm just wondering, but, is, is this series ever going to wrap up? Because I don't, I don't think it's going <laughs> to. Well, it's, it's scheduled, scheduled for, for seven, seven, right? It's okay. scheduled for seven, but anyway, we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah, so. we'll we'll get there. Okay. All right. 
Thank you, back Ken. Back to you guys. Um, so, Which includes me, I guess. Back to us guys. Yeah, back to all of us. So before we say anything else about this book, because I know that there's going to be some good things to say. There's going to be plenty of, um, of shade to throw at the book from what I understand. Um, but before we get to anything else, I have to say, this cover of the book is fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, before I ever knew what the Gentleman Bastards was, before I'd ever heard of Scott Lynch, uh, I remember seeing this cover years ago. Or I, don't even, I don't even know when it came out, honestly. Uh, 2013. So I remember seeing this cover and just thinking, that is something I want to read. So I, I didn't know it was the third book in a cycle or anything. Anyway, I just want to congratulate whoever was the artist on that i i haven't bothered to look it up yet but what a fantastic cover well done good design yeah it was fantastic unfortunately (laughs) what we see on the cover is bullshit uh which is which is sad um because we never see they're like they're wearing masks they it looks like they you know she's got like bloody daggers and everything and and i'm like oh sweet I'm reading the book, kind of waiting for this to happen, and we're working our way toward the conclusion, and I'm like, oh, it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. This is going to be so exciting. And then the book ends, and I got to say, I was pretty disappointed. So just just in that kind of lack of, uh, of cover vindication. Lack or, of general bloody killing I don't know. with well, knives. I just love the cover. That's all. The cover uh, is fantastic. Anyway, all right. So I want to kick it to you, Ryan, first, because you were the first one to finish this Mm-hmm. Um, this was published in 2013. I think you finished it in 2004. <laughs> it's been it's been a while, right? Yeah, I've, I've had enough time to finish four other books since I finished this one. That's amazing! Like, good heavens! I, yeah, I don't know where you find the time for that. I, I have a long commute. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, tell tell me your general thoughts, and we'll go from there. Well, the first thing I want I I want to call back something that I did said a long time ago in our. Did said I did said. Um, was that did slash said? Or? Yes, that's what okay. it was. Oh, is it really? Okay. Yes, it wasn't like that. I done said. <laughs> no, it was a it was a slash that okay. didn't didn't show up. Um, I made a comment when I finished book two. I remember messaging the group and saying, "I am so excited to start book three. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, I, I remember was super and pumped about. That's it. why I've been looking forward to book three since before we started book one. Yeah, because I remember you saying that. I dove straight in, like I, I finished book two, and I just immediately downloaded the audiobook for the second, the third one, and just started going right for it. And I just because I don't, I don't remember what it was at the end of book two or the first part of book three that just got me so amped about it. Now that I've had some time away from the cocaine, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's how we read so many books. It's it's really. Am, I, this is one of those that a little bit of time gives you a better perspective of the book. Sure, absolutely. Because I remember as I read, like I, I love these books as I'm reading them. Mm-hmm. I really do enjoy them. They're they're great. As I think back about the books and I'm piecing together different parts, I'm I'm starting to notice patches and holes and things that I I was just so caught up in what was happening that I didn't really care about as much. Yeah. Um, so what's that the mark of? I, I mean, I was kind of thinking about this earlier today, where I feel like Scott Lynch is really good with his prose is that what it is like he knows how to construct a scene uh he knows how to do quippy fun dialogue and and cutting characters and all that um it's just when you like you say when you zoom out when you have a little bit of space and time to see you know more from a bird's eye view some of the the problems with it but when you're in it 
it's a, so much fun. Yeah, and I would say some of it is his writing and his his prose. The other portion of it, I would be would say, is due to its episodic styling. When you are when you commit to that sort of style, when you are in the episode, you're fully invested in what's happening here and now, and it's easy to get lost in that. When you come back and look for the over the the bigger picture, and take that time, it's it's the same way with television. Like you can tell like seasons that have a good arc and stuff like that. Yeah, and those yeah. where you're just ah, oh, that was a really fun episode. Like you can name really good episodes of a TV series, but you may not necessarily remember an entire arc that happened. Right. And I feel like in fantasy literature and science fiction, we get so locked into the idea generally of the larger overarching, the, arc. the epic yeah. adventure type story that when we get an episodic piece, we all of a sudden critique it a little bit harder because we're, we're missing that. So if, when I let that go for this series, I'm actually a little more, I'm a little more forgiving of those holes that I see now that I've taken a little time away from it than I would be if they had attempted to make this a long overarching piece. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So you're saying that, that focusing on the small picture w was what made this more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, just being just being in this story, like, yes, these all seem to end the exact same way. Locke barely pulls something so, out. So, so yep. does every and episode then loses, of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do that, and, that's, that's the, and there's a little bit of a twist at the end to make you want to come in and see the next episode. You know, that's how these are written. You know what? I really shouldn't have asked you to go first because I feel like you've kind of preemptively undercut a lot of my <laughs> critiques. Uh, so this is a big mistake of mine uh, and I rescind my invitation for you to speak. Um, I'm just kidding. You know. <laughs> that pretty much covers the thought there. So. Okay, all right, good, good. Ken, you're going to say something. Uh, I'll say uh, a lot of the enjoyment for me in this series has been his character not necessarily development. It doesn't feel like these characters develop a ton. Like they're pretty much fully. They follow the, the way cycle. There. Yeah. But it, it's the way that he writes the characters that, uh, that I, I really enjoy. They're, they're engaging. They're funny. The, the banter is, is fantastic. He knows how to write banter so well. And I, I found the character so enjoyable in, in that in the first book, when he totally, you know, all of a sudden takes that dark turn and he, he kills the Sansa twins and bug. That was one of those rare times where I audibly like gasped and mouth dropped when I was, when I was reading it, it was like, Holy crap, that just happened. And you know, I, I liked those characters. So when they actually came back in the book three, I, I, it really engaged me. Side effect of uh, bringing Ken on for the third book is uh, he gets to go back and talk, talk about, about his experience two. with the That's first That's right. Two. I got a lot to say. No. I don't. <laughs> um, all right. All right. So, oh, sorry. Were you going to say something else, Ryan? Well, it's something that Ken said kind of sparked a thought in my head. Yes. Um, one of the things about these books that was bigger to me in the first, and it may just be that I haven't thought it out very well, but I have yet to feel like the stakes in this book or in the previous book were enormous, like all that high, if that makes any sense. The, the stakes in this book? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, I think one of our Redditor comments uh, said the same thing. Probably. it's. I don't recall. I, I'd have to go back and look it up, but I think one of them brought that up too. It didn't feel like there was much gravity to... Yeah, it's that's that to me is a factor. Um, and again, it plays back into being episodic. Not every episode can be the entire world is falling apart. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I... Even when they try and put the, you know, 
Locke or Jean or Locke, like their life is on the line. The stakes are that high. It's your life. I don't buy it anymore. Like their lives have been on the line from the very beginning. It's the lifestyle they chose. Like yeah. that's not a stake anymore. That's a consistent aspect of their life. So here's, uh, I, I agree with you that, um, that, that it doesn't quite work that way, especially in this book. Uh, compared to the first two, because in this one, it's pretty explicit from their first conversation with uh, patients, with patients, that nobody's going to harm them. Right. Now there is the question of is she lying, you know? But she explicitly says, as long as you're part of this game, nobody can kill you. Nobody's allowed to kill you. They can inconvenience you and they can try to foil your schemes and all that, but nobody's going to kill you. So it kind of takes away that um, that issue. And so, yeah, so now the driving force is we want to uh, get into this election, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what we're getting set up with as the primary motivator for our two characters in the A storyline mm-hmm. is this election cycle that they have to... Uh, try to game well but then that is it just me or does that get pretty much abandoned and I I think somebody maybe on reddit somebody calls it basically a prank war between them and Sabatha I was one of the reasons going back to what I was saying earlier about Ryan's comments making me excited for this book was you had mentioned uh, I think you pulled me aside after one of the other episodes that we did and you said you're going to love book three because it's all politics you know, mm-hmm. it's it's about, you know, uh, political struggle and elections and all that. And I'm like, dude, dope. Sounds <laughs> awesome. That is right up my alley. And then this book had almost nothing about politics or elections, uh, which yeah. was shocking given the setup. Which I, and I had a question when you, when you brought this up to me, because my initial response is... I just abandoned my first question, by the way, and steamrolled on to another, <laughs> another point. Sorry about that. Sorry. Well, my question is, for me, I yes, this was not quite the political intrigue. This was not a, a thriller of in that sense. But I don't really imagine, I don't know how you write how politics of the time period of, or kind of what we're sitting in here, what else it would be than this to try and throw off your opponent? What else would you do in that period to try and make that work? What would that look like? What would it look like if it was political intrigue? I mean, you're you're asking me to give you a specific response on that, and I'm not sure that I could, but um, it strikes me that in the first book, he kind of he went back to the geography or the uh, kind of the physical feeling of medieval Venice mm-hmm, uh, yeah. to create Camor, and then in the second book, he researches all about uh, pirates, like Caribbean pirates, basically, and and how sailing those ships works and and you know and he mentions after the book is done he's got his little author's note and he's like look it's not isn't really how sailing goes 100 percent, but you know i took some artistic license but it still has that flavor of sailing and so i kind of feel like maybe he could have taken some cues from yeah you know the way george martin does with the war of the roses and how he structures the the family uh battles in um, Song of Ice and Fire. So you go back to sure. somewhere and take some notes. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe he did that and I'm just not smart enough to detect it, uh, but there just wasn't... Um, 
there wasn't there wasn't even a hint of any politics it's how weird. do you how do you do it i don't know but i guess i i don't know for sure but my instinct would be to find some event in the past that i could mine for um for some sort of well, uh, even, uh, situation even even some standard like, like history books about hey this is the the election of 1860 uh, that's exactly books. what i'm talking about yeah yeah, yeah. real like historic not uh, just song of ice and fire for example which was fantastic with political intrigue but but yeah real ones just take something if you're going that's standard research or a standard writing 101 is to do a little bit of research and well like I, that, I look so. i i mean that and i don't want to the way you're saying that makes it sound like he didn't do right. anything and, and I, I, that's don't what I, would say. I don't want to say that. it like like that but all but that being said not wanting to say it like that maybe that maybe that's not where his research fell maybe his research fell in the in the b story in the that's kind of that's kind of my argument though is what if that literally is he did the research and that literally is pulling like yeah there was a selection and they would kidnap the other electorate's people yeah, and it's they would possible. like i would have loved to have heard about that then is similar to the way that he mentioned the pirate stuff because at the mm -hmm. in the author's note at the end of this one he talked about um how he did the stage stuff yeah and he's like look all you actors out there reading my book i know this isn't exactly how it goes but you know just like with the pirate stuff um and so because there's a lack of that my sense and again i could be wrong maybe he did pull some event from history i could be wrong but the sense that i got as i was reading it was he kind of had this this cool idea for a setup where these mages run the town and they have this mock election that's basically just a party for him um and then just kind of forgot about what what those kinds of politics would do to a town you know he didn't really follow that idea through he just used it as a setting for his two fun characters to run around with the third fun character and get into some mm -hmm. shenanigans yep and so yep. if that's what you enjoy if if that's all you're in it for is those shenanigans with the fun characters great he did a fantastic job uh, i guess i was just looking for more as he set it up in the the initial conversation with patience yeah yeah i i think i was too i i genuinely wish that we would have gotten a better understanding of what the election actually was earlier on in the book instead of getting it right at the very end you, you mean the procedural stuff with the voting in that or no the every five years basically the mage setup was they were they were working out so that um there's the one group of mages that was kind of the for lack of a better term the death eaters yeah they're like <laughs> we're superior we should right, whatever right. and this this was a check between the two groups and as soon as one group was able to win and take over like they could that's why there was this mass slaughter and destruction and fight between all the mages at the end of this book like right they lost the election so they they basically had this giant slaughter between them where they killed half the mages off because of it did i read a different book no i, I remember this uh, I, I just feel like those are two separate issues because the slaughter yeah, was planned long before the election ever happened and this was just a way to like get everybody in the same room or something like that yeah. it was but it's a part of that machination to set up uh, it, oh, oh, I see. Okay, so you're talking like the 200 years ago or whenever it was when they started this process. It was with this in mind. I want, yeah, I, I want to okay, see that, that yeah. so that I know that 
whichever way this election hinges or turns, someone's going to die. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is the stakes are revealed in the middle of the climax. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying. And I think I agree with that. It would have been nice to have that a little bit earlier. Yeah. I can um, that. Speaking of, of earlier uh, in the book, let's talk about the beginning of the book. Um, because what we don't get is those stakes. What we also don't get is even the beginning of this story until I went back and looked 20%. We spend 20% of the book uh, with Locke convalescing and Jean trying to, to bring him back. Whiny Jean or yeah. whiny Locke. Whiny Locke. Yeah, whiny Locke again. I, I, don't, I don't have quite the same aversion to whiny Locke as a character that I think some people do, but that's but a totally valid complaint, I suppose. Um, I guess my, my issue was, I remember I, I made a note, I looked it up in my Kindle. At 20%, I finally notated, okay, here's the story. It's mm-hmm. when Patience finally shows up. Here's what I want you to do for us. This is how you're going to get unpoisoned. And I'm like, 20%? Good, yeah. Gordon. This should have been, you know, like all that stuff should have been prologue. Chapter one, patient shows up, you know, mm-hmm. I, I guess I was a little bit frustrated with the length of time, just the slow pace to get this one going. Or at least yeah. make an appearance, put the offer out there, leave, then let us go through whiny lock chapters and come back and make it where they like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that could have worked. I guess with. It um, almost would have been better because it's it, seriously, she makes the offer and it takes about five minutes for them to go. All right let's go let's do it you know it's yeah, yeah give like, us some, like give you're us saying some. right maybe you maybe she comes up in the beginning and says here's how you're going to get out of this and yeah. they're like f you lady get out of here we'll find our own cure and it's like oh we're not finding our own cure he's so let's he's take him eight up on minutes it. from death's door and they summon her again with a black magic charm and say patience do your thing say patience three times or whatever right is. exactly yeah. um yeah that might have worked a little bit better for me as it was this yeah. uh the i i had some i had some mild mild to moderate complaints about the structure of book two but compared to this one i felt i feel like book two really moved at a good clip and this one Mm -hmm. just took forever to get going Mm -hmm. um do you i don't know what do you think ryan uh in terms of pacing i i think because of the way i approached it i didn't have that sense earlier on in the book because i was still writing off the wave of coming off of book two oh yeah because you dove right i dove right in and plowed straight ahead if I had had some time to settle, I probably would have dealt with dealt with it the same way. Um, yeah, it took I, a few days between the two. I was just my biggest thing was I was frustrated that we were going back to a place we had already been in the sense of lock. I, whiny, I don't whiny lock. Yeah. yeah, and I don't have a big problem with whiny lock. I mean, he's dying. There's a lot of things, like you deal with that differently, but we've literally gone through this exact conversation with between Jean and Locke already. Earlier on, like um, at the end of book one, when he's you know just let me die and everything. Yeah, and, and yeah. The beginning of book two for uh, for less time than here. If if you're writing, if your books are always going to be formulaic and start out with Locke and John in that place, you're going to drop readership because we know, or we're going to jump the first twenty percent of a book, knowing that we can just get past you know Locke having to start doing what he's got to do. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, could be that. Yeah. So let's, uh, before we get to Reddit comments, I'm pulling up the Reddit comments here, but I want to ask you about the B storyline because we've talked about the A storyline mm-hmm. a little bit. 
Uh, now, both of you are stage actors. This uh, is correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. It happens. They get on stage. They sing. They dance. They make utter fools of themselves for the amusement of others. And, that sounds uh, like me. And <laughs> occasionally, I help make it happen, I guess. Um, all right. So with the B storyline, how did you guys feel like he pulled it off? Uh, were you engaged by it? Did it feel real as actors? Uh, or was it like if I were a pirate reading book two? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I... I Go ahead, Ken. I was going to say, I felt like I, I felt like I, I didn't necessarily care about the stage production so much, which which is weird. I mean, because having having been there, the, the backstage stuff was fun. But I really the, the thing that draws most actors to acting, not not serious, like serious actors who are, who are trying to make a living of not so much, but but. Community, community community theater actors, actors like me who like to, to hang out they're drawn mostly because they get to hang out with their friends for three months doing this and then you know at the last month they get on stage and they get to perform and it's fun but the, the main draw is they get to hang out with their friends and so that's kind of what the in the b storyline uh, appealed to me the most here they are having fun with their friends yucking it up a little bit and they get to associate with the actual actors and uh seeing the interaction was fun especially after they end up killing the you know the baron and spoiler alert spoiler alert didn't see that coming but after they they kill the baron and then they have to wrangle them all back in and watching how these bunch of serious actors by trade have to have to react to these community theater actors basically spoiling their their craft is more enjoyable to me the the b story got more interesting as it went along whereas the a story to me got less interesting i guess is okay is more the way i looked at it um the b storyline first and foremost for me was it was my favorite portion of the book um not just because of acting but because it was the first time we get to see Locke and jean and the group on their own uh like not under the protective hands tutelage of, of father Chains. father chains and so we get to see the beginnings of what we've been dealing with in the last couple books. Um, in terms of the acting portion of it, uh, the this what's depicted in this book is different than a lot of uh, modern acting, is simply because it's a troupe. We don't do troops yeah. quite the same way as they used to. There are it's true there are theater groups and theater troops out there. They still exist, um, but. Back in that time, it was, we have a group of 12 people, eight people, whatever. And so we have this play. We're going to hand out roles to everybody in the group. And you just worked with that group for however long. Not the case anymore. Now it's now it's audition. Audition, come in, calls, new group, yep. go, that sort of setup. Um, so it, it runs a little bit differently. And so if there's any actor out there complaining, like, that's I'm, not how it is. I'm still angry that you didn't uh, pick me for wench number three in your play. Well, that's because there were only two wenches and you just weren't good enough. <laughs> if you'd shaved your legs. I'm, I'm working on my bosom. Yeah. <laughs> um, better, I'm just going to go eat more bread. Excuse get a, me. Get a better bodice. I was um, I was actually really excited about the, the play they were telling, The Republic of Thieves, uh, which is the name of the book there. Um, but the storyline in Republic of Thieves actually seemed more intriguing to me originally. Like I was... I yep. I both agree and disagree. Um, I agree in that there are hints at something that's interesting, and, mm -hmm. and you know, I mean, he's obviously trying to 
make something Shakespearean. Um, and so it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I kind of want to hear more about that. But I'll be honest, at the same time, when they're doing portions of it and you're reading it and it's going on for pages and pages and pages, I was sitting there waiting for it to kind of like tie in in some way to what's going on with the characters. Mm-hmm. And there were, I mean, there were little pieces, but I guess it didn't do that on the whole from what I could tell. Maybe I'm just obtuse. I, I'll accept that. But but it seemed like it, the Republic of Thieves stuff went on for so many pages and then they wrap their rehearsal for the day and then get on with the story. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why did I just sit through this much of the play <laughs> that isn't going to matter? And then in the end, it doesn't matter. Anyway. I, I'm far enough removed from it. I remember reading it and feeling that it connected enough. Um, it wasn't a direct piece like, oh, they're basically telling Locke's story that he's going to go live yeah, in yeah. five right. years or whatever. Um, but I felt it connected enough and I was intrigued by it. Um I, I really enjoy that era of theater um, in theatrical history, that, that troupe uh, styling. I, I love it. So I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, it, was, like- it, was a per- it was a perfect storm of things that I loved. Um, theater, the, the smart uh, con artists running stuff. and So which, which storyline did you prefer? The B storyline? I preferred then? the B storyline. Yeah, I preferred Ken, the same with you. Yeah. yeah. I think ultimately I still prefer, oh gosh, I don't know. I guess I have so many complaints about about both of them. I'm not sure. They they both were equally fun and frustrating mm-hmm. uh, in my mind, yeah. I suppose. Um, but with that in mind, I want to go to a Reddit comment from <clears throat> Mitkibis. I don't know how to say this. I think that's exactly Mit- right. Mitkibis. Yes. Um that's who exactly right. kind of has uh, a few things to say uh, but uh, through several paragraphs. But at the very end, Mitkip <laughs> says, I kind of feel like both stories, the A and story, A and B storylines, were picked just to show Locke's relationship with Sabatha and not for how interesting they would be as a book. So I want to use this to kind of segue to the Sabatha issue, talk about her a little bit as a character and Locke's relationship and Jean's relationship with her. And um, and how we feel like she's fit into the story uh, in both storylines. Um, was this book, you know, kind of like the I, my favorite cereal in the world is Honeycomb. Not because it's that delicious, and it is, but mostly because it's a delivery system for strawberries. Mm-hmm. Is that how we're thinking about both of these storylines? Like, yeah, it's fine, but really it's just a delivery system for Sabatha. She's the strawberries, the, the diced up strawberries in this story. Um, is that yeah. does that uh, does that jive with you? Yeah. That feels largely what it was. It's like let's let's give you as much Sabbath as possible. That's basically what it felt like. After two books, we we need to introduce her back in, and it, it felt like a delivery system for Locke's relationship with Sabbath, and and basically how she's so clever and she's got got his number for lack of a better term you know in terms of everything he thinks he's doing she's she's two steps ahead of him right um All right. In, in so little, ryan you're looking contemplative flail. let me read you a little bit more of this comment from mick uh <laughs> book one book one had big <laughs> book one had big stakes book two had an exciting pirate adventure book three's election and play just felt unimpressive in comparison 
I kind of feel like both stories were picked just to show Locke's relationship with Sabatha and not for how interesting they would be as a book. Respond. First off, I would say I can partially, I can understand the con- that feeling. I don't entirely agree with it because I do think these stories are interesting. They're just not as accessible. Like people aren't necessarily on like you may not have the connection to the the, the theatrical portion of it or Mm -hmm. the political portion or lack thereof sure um in this as we've talked about so it's a little more of a it's a little bit harder for us to get ourselves in the mindset to connect the dots the same way um not that we all have pirate experience or (laughs) (laughs) speak for yourself Matt. not all of us um but there's when it gets that far out, sometimes it's almost easier to suspend disbelief and everything, whereas this is a little closer to reality. You've probably been to it. Even if you don't know theater, you've probably been to a play. Even if you haven't... I think you're overestimating most Americans. <laughs> <laughs> I you've don't know. Well, so you've been to a kid's play in, in elementary school yeah, or you, something. You went to... You've been to something, and you've probably you've been aware of an election because it's impossible not to be, especially if you're in the United States. Um, Careful. Yeah. I'm, I'm making no I'm making no commentary about <laughs> those here. Um so to say that it's just a vessel like he's like okay I need to I need to get Locke and uh Sabbath's story to start. Uh I can just do, I can do it through this. That's fine. I don't feel like that's the case. I feel like these are legitimate are they a vessel for it? Yes, but they're and, and, they're good. And Honeycomb is a good cereal. Yes. But really yeah. I just want strawberries and milk in my face. In in that sense Yes, I just don't like the idea of saying that these were solely that. Yeah, yeah, solely that. That's right. not the case. I don't. I don't feel that. Okay, and I, but, I don't feel that either. I don't want it to sound like my comment meant to. to sound well, it like did, that. Ken. So just own it and walk well, away. I apologize. How did how did we like Sabatha? Um, did she? Oh, I, I I was really looking forward to her finally showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she showed up. I kind of felt like um, okay, she's a bit like. Lady Lady Locke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ryan, what did you think of Sabatha? Um, I like Sabatha. She was exactly what I expected. Um, a character like Locke would need to have a woman who was smarter than him, uh, beautiful, smarter than him, and inaccessible to him. That's his character type. That's what he would yeah, need. Yeah. And yeah. so she was exactly what I expected. And that's both good and a little disappointing like i i would love i would have loved a little turn on that but the, the entire backstory and the b story we spend the whole time basically establishing that not only do they love each other they have that history together there uh, but one of her biggest hang-ups is that Locke is so smart and he's just the natural leader and she doesn't like that she doesn't want to be led she wants to be the leader she wants to be strong like to be that same as Locke. yeah she wants to be yeah. an independent woman which is supposed to help build the tension for their battle on the in the A story. Like we're building. Okay, I get why these two are always. You know why these two are so good. Why this is a good matchup for the ma- the magi to put forward. Like, you know, put these two together. But when we get into the A storyline with the two of them, it I I spent the entire time feeling like we were so far behind Sabatha anyway that I never really I lacked the the. Yeah, it wasn't mm. it wasn't it, much of a joust or a you know no, it wasn't it really a wasn't. match. It was every every time you would read about Log and Jean doing something, like you say, Sabatha's 
three steps ahead already. It got more frustrating than intriguing sometimes because yeah. she was so good. Which makes it difficult to try and in that, in that scenario explore their relationship because when they do explore their relationship, the first thing they do is they take it out of the context of the... Of the okay. A story, yeah. At the very beginning, she pulls a prank on, she throws them out on the ship and everything. That's within the context of the election. But when they actually start seriously spending time together again and really trying to reinvigorate their relationship as it was, what do they do? They say, nothing they, that happens here involves... They is, abandon the game. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's like, you can't. Yeah. You can't because now I have to either care about this or this. Like, there, there has to be repercussions for it. And, yeah. Okay. I, I think it also kind of cheapened the ending for me, and I, I kind of saw it coming because every time, every time he does something, she she counters it, and she's so clever, and he's just barely keeping up, and and you knew, just through the book that that somehow something's going to even out, but it kind of it, it either uh, gives short shrift to Sabbath's abilities, or it cheapens Locke's victories, one of the, one of the other, because here they come with the tie, which conveniently they they tie, but. She's ahead of him the entire time. My yeah. years as a soccer fan prepared me for the end of this book that a draw is okay. <laughs> oh, a draw is still a point. Yeah, but it, it, I don't know. I just that that I left me kind of a little bit of blood bit. just came out of my eye. Hang on, just a second. Oh man. Uh, okay, so speaking of Sabbath, I, I want to talk about something just uh, like a a little bit different. We've talked a lot about the broad strokes of the book, the structure, the pacing, and that sort of thing, and, and kind of where we feel like Scott Lynch maybe has a few shortcomings. But as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I think he has some real strengths. Um, and one of those strengths uh, is in his... Um, I mean, Ken, you've mentioned his dialogue, mm -hmm. the witty repartee yes. of his characters, uh, but also just his inventiveness with um, how he can create a scene, construct a scene to give you some insight into a character, give them a little bit of depth. And I feel like he did that really well with Sabatha, and he did that in the discussion of redheads. Do you guys remember that? Yes. There is a horrifying discussion oh, yeah. uh, when uh, Locke is uh, he's quite enamored of her red hair and she's a bit put off by this and he doesn't understand why right and she tells him why um if you're listening with kids in the car then oh, maybe don't it's nauseating uh, but yeah. but essentially in this world redheads are sought after and when they're young girls it sounded like you know 10 11 12 years old um then men who had uh vd basically they would uh so someone would cut the woman's clitoris off and then the men would have sex with her to cure them of their disease and it was some kind of like something like weird yeah. black and magic a, kind of thing a lucky man if you were the one that she died on yeah, yeah exactly yeah and it's just this insane scenario that he comes up with until you realize that oh it's not that insane it really happens crap like this happens in the real world um anyway but the little things like that like i remember reading that and and Part of it is the shock value of it that makes it so um, so memorable, mm -hmm. you know, that creates such a, a, a an imprint on your mind. But um, it's beyond that. It's the way that he kind of tells it, the way that he the dialogue happens between the two of them, and how um, 
kind of dumbfounded he is that she has had to go through this and he didn't realize that he just liked her red hair and now you know it's kind of changing his perspective on things uh i i thought stuff like that is really really well done mm-hmm. yeah. i just wanted to to point out that like you know we're having all these kind of big complaints about the structure of the book but ultimately he is a very effective author at certain things and this is the oh, kind absolutely. of thing that i feel like he uh does incredibly well uh so as hard as it was to read something like that very well done scene and there are things like that sprinkled throughout the book that help you kind of uh understand the characters more sympathize with them more uh, really really liked that i agree uh most yeah. of the stuff that scott lynch writes that we would classify as tier three um kind of that philosophy type setup uh-huh. i think he does very well um in, in posing it as a good question to to think about and talk about um most of the complaints i think we've had have been in line with the simple things on tier one and tier two yeah so. yeah, yeah. Um, and there are people who are just joining us recently. Maybe you don't know about level one, level two, and level three, and I don't really want to explain it right now. So um, you can go find that. We, yeah, you can go. Yeah, it's like episode one fifty something or something. something. Yeah. I don't know. Um. Anyway, let, let's move on to something else. Then I want to go to another Reddit comment. This one from Glennir Bafti. We have so many international listeners, I'm just going to choose to believe this is one of them. <laughs> I don't know how to say that name. So um, let's skip now to the end of the book. Um, Ken, you mentioned this, I think, in your synopsis, but we mm-hmm. kind of skipped over it. The huge reveal at the end. The epilogue reveal? Not the epilogue oh, reveal. Okay. The oh, wait, reveal maybe of... it was. Maybe it was the epilogue reveal. Uh, no, I think it's the lock reveal. No, I was going to say oh, the, okay. the lock yeah, yeah. reveal. Yep. Um, it came out of uh, way out of left field for me. I was not expecting something so magical. It almost yeah. felt like it was from a whole other kind of book. Um, did it make you look at previous events and it lock himself in a different light? Um, does it give you anything to speculate about the future with, or are you at a loss just as I am? So the big lock reveal, how do we feel about it? I... Uh, I feel fairly similar, like, whoa, where did where did this come from? However, the world has been set up so that something like that in this world is plausible. I mean, the Bonds Magi clearly have magic uh, of some kind or another, and you would think that, you know, if one got powerful enough to want to attempt something like re- reviving a, a dead spouse, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just didn't. I don't know that my complaint is necessarily, oh, that's so out of character. Oh, that does totally wouldn't happen. But it just, yeah, it was, I, it I was wanna, a radical change for me. It was like, whoa, what, where'd this come from? Yes. And I wonder if, um, okay, Ryan, I'm going to do something a little bit crazy here. <laughs> oh. I'm going to bring up The Last Jedi. Oh, okay. Oh. So for those of you who don't know, Ryan loves The Last Jedi. I hate it. Uh, I won't put my battle armor in on. I won't draw yet. Well, uh, here's all I'm saying is the scene when Ray is talking to Kylo Ren and he's like, you're nothing. You're no one. You don't matter. This is, uh, you know, it's Ryan Johnson's attempt to subvert your expectations. And for some people, it really worked. Uh for other people, For some um, people you thought he was totally it really lying. fell flat on its face and it's like no it's yeah you can toy with certain things uh, but other things are kind of sacrosanct within this Skywalker storyline and this this was something that you it, it maybe felt weird because um, we needed Ray to be 
someone. Right. And then when when he says you're no one, and it's I mean I still think it's a lie, but whatever, that's a whole other thing. It's, uh, but when it's taken as just a fact, then it kind of it kind of feels weird. It feels out of place, like right. you're saying, Ken, right? And that's very similar to how I feel about this one, where Locke is no one. Yeah. And that's part of his character, and it's uh, it's a good and interesting part of his character that he. Um, based on nothing but his wit and a, a bit of luck was able to put himself in the position that he's in now as right. uh, you know a member of the gentleman bastards and having all these crazy adventures and so then when the big reveal is oh you're the reincarnation of the most powerful wizard of all time it feels wrong yeah and so I, now similar again similar to the kylo and ray thing there is no proof uh, there is, to use the parlance of the day, there is no contemporaneous corroborating evidence. Um, <laughs> and, so there, there is no reason to believe that she, Patience, as she's relating this to Locke, that she must be, oops, that Whoa. she must be telling the truth. Um, she could very well be yanking his chain for whatever reason. So we don't know. And, and, uh, and Scott Lynch still has wiggle room to go either way mm-hmm. if he wanted to to pull back on this in book four or book five or whatever. Right. Um, but as it's contained in the storyline, it's just such a shock. Did it work for you, Ryan? I mean, I know how much you love Ray being nothing. I'm okay with the idea of Ray being nothing. <laughs> um, it was, it was a bit of a shock. I do agree a little bit out of left field. Um, it does not sit well in the style of the previous two books. Um, I, looking back, I have not gone back and reread them, obviously, but I don't see the breadcrumb trail leading me to this revelation either. Um, like a lot of times you look back in a book and all of a sudden, oh yeah, I see it. There it is. Yes. All these things that have, that have been there. And she tries to walk you through it, like, you know, with this time in Shades Hill and everything, but there's just not enough there to really feel like this is a, this has been premeditated the entire process through. Right. Um, I even thought about some of those, like, oh, he's, he's too overzealous when it comes to stealing from the yellow shirts and stuff like But yeah, there's, there's not, there's, there's not, that's the, a stretch. It feels like a stretch anyway. So for me, the big deal is going forward. This was a little out of, uh, this felt a little weird. I'm okay with it going forward if we deal with it. This can't be abandoned in book four and never talked about until book six. Or only brought up when the hero needs an escape. When it's convenient, yeah. Right. Like when, you know, when the falconer brings, you know, meets up with him or whatever, and he's able to use that one Expelliarmus spell that, you know, <laughs> takes his falconer. Butter, exactly. Yeah, that takes him out or whatever. Uh, sorry, that's total dear. I don't know why that... I've had this thing lately. I've been thinking a lot about how many spells Harry actually knows in Harry Potter, like in that whole yeah. series. Cause... 47. <laughs> I don't know. No. But he only uses the one. But that's the thing, like, this this reveal has some big potential, I think, because it could be fun for Locke to develop as a Magi and learn those things as a Bonds Magi and, and do that. Um, but it does take away a Training little bit Training montage! Of, <laughs> Woohoo! Sorry. It does take away a little bit of the, the victory when, if it's just using your wit and your mind and uh, your friends and your group to beat the Magic people... That's more impressive to me than yeah, yeah, yeah. than him coming back and being like, 
Well, yeah. Well, you also have this reservoir of mana that you just haven't been using for a long time. And well, and it feels <laughs> you know, like here's your plus seven wand of mercury that it's it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. It, it it feels like it could be something, especially with the falconer coming back. It could be something that that he builds upon and he uses effectively, and it turns it into a completely different type of story. You know, with the last four books. How, especially if you take, okay, you know, you've got this magic, plus you've got your wits, whereas the falconer only has magic, you know, or something to that effect. I, I guess the my point on that would be, it all depends on how Scott Lynch uses this reveal going forward. But for right now, I'm just like, all right, I guess. Like, I my question is, why does it matter right now? Yes. Why do we? Why does it matter that he's that he's a bonds magi that reincarnated? It doesn't change the life he's led up to this point. It, he hasn't had a lot of special moments that we're aware of. Right. You know, that. Yeah, where, there, it's not like he, it's not like the reveal happens and then, then then we're like, oh, that's why he had those crazy flashbacks. Right. Yeah. Or something like that. It hasn't, so he could literally go forward and say, great, I was that. You're right. Don't want to do that anymore. Well, yeah. <laughs> and just go for it. I, that would be irritating to me. Right, right, right. But he almost set that up too, because it seems like Patience was the one who was pushing him to remember all this stuff for some, for some scheme that she had, and now she's dead, and now half the the Bonds Magi are dead. So there's there's a very plausible path that he can do either one, basically, if he ever gets around to writing the next book. Uh, let's not. I, I don't want to get into that. All we right. did a whole episode about that. Um. All right, so we are coming up on the end of our time. We've got a few minutes left, and I feel like uh, I'd like to do some swears. <laughs> I mean, this is our last Scott Lynch book for you know for the foreseeable future, and so uh, I feel like we need to do some swears. Oh, Ken, you said Betsy. you you brought one. That's not a good swear. I want you to to bring your best blue comedy from Scott Lynch the, in this uh, book. And I want you to I want you to shout it into the bleeping microphone. My my, my very favorite one doesn't actually have a whole uh, lot of swears I knew it. in it, which is funny, but it's not it wasn't by design. It was just my favorite one because it made me audibly laugh. Is uh when when he and Jean were talking and Jean says, Listen, if you walk into a whorehouse and find yourself getting <laughs> it's because you put some money on the counter, not because the gods transported a pair of lips to your <laughs> just, I'll believe that for that you. That cracked me up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I I rolled not no, literally no on the curse words. There, no curse words. And so in, there weren't any curse in words the anymore. words of Kahlo, suck vinegar from my can. <laughs> <laughs> Kahlo and Galdo are my favorite in this entire series, and I'm so glad to see them again. Mm. Uh Ryan, did you have any that you wanted to I got let fly? One. I got one in here. Um uh, what's the never fail universal apology? I was badly misinformed. I deeply regret the error. Go f yourself with this bag of money. <laughs> um, okay, I had one that, uh, you know, I think I mentioned one in the last book where I was just like, you know, most of these are just colorful and sometimes they get downright awful. Here's an awful one. That ghoul would tongue f a dead rat if there was silver in it for him. <laughs> Oh man! And they, wow. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, what's another one, Ryan? I do love his colorful dialogue. He said that life boils down to standing in line to get shit dropped on your head. Everyone's got a place in the queue. You can't get out of it. And just when you start to congratulate yourself on surviving your dose of shit, you discover that the line is actually circular. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, that's uh, Ken. Did you have another one? I yeah, I don't. No, okay, good. That's I, quite there, enough. Some of that. were very good, but that I don't have another we, one. We we literally have uh, Catholic priests listening to our podcast. That's true. So and and we we apologize, preacher. Really? No, no, it's not preacher. Uh, Ken, I don't know. I don't I know what a, to say. Uh, let's. Uh, I'll tell you. I, uh, okay, feel like we need to wrap this up. So there were some other comments on Reddit that we didn't get to, but I feel like. I was kind of reading through while we were swearing at each other, and um, and I feel like we covered most of what they wanted to talk about just in our own discussion. Yeah. So hopefully we answered some of your questions. If not, uh, bug us about it, and we'll do so on Reddit. Um, anyway, you guys have any final thoughts on Republic of Thieves and Gentleman Bastards in general? Ken? Um, I, I still have questions. I'd like to see more flashback stuff about Father Chains and why Sabbath the left. I mean, the, the flashback stuff is still the most interesting part to me. Yeah. I, I don't I don't have much more other than that. It, Father Chains is Father Chains is just such a fantastic character. He really that is. I can't yeah. help but enjoy his portion of the story, and and I was very sad that he wasn't in much of this one. Yeah. Same. Um, I this book series. I would very hesitantly recommend it to a few people. Not because it's bad or anything, but because I don't know a lot of people who I think would genuinely enjoy this series. Um, that's interesting because it was so highly recommended to us. Yeah. Yeah. It, and that's more, that speaks more to the people, to your that, friends, to the people that I know that I would talk books with. Um, it's, that's more the issue here than anything about the quality of these books. Um, this is definitely not a, throw it out there for anybody. And I wouldn't say this is the best um, example or depiction of science fiction and fantasy literature. It's good, but I haven't read any of Dresden Files, but I'm starting to think that this is more along those lines with with the episodic nature, with that sort of thing. Until this series finishes right now, I'm a little hesitant to recommend this to people. Yeah, okay. I, I get that. I kind of, on the recommendation front, I like what you were saying earlier about uh, the episodic nature of it, and it was kind of making me think, again, I mean, we've brought up the Sherlock Holmes reference quite a bit, uh, but it is kind of similar to that where it's like, hey, do you, do you like Sherlock and Watson? Do you enjoy watching them go on adventures? Yeah, read some adventures. It's one of those, um, maybe kind of along the lines of what you're saying, Ryan, this isn't something that I would be like, okay, do you have you know, a, a week to spare. You've got to cram this book in there. You're going to love it. You mm -hmm. just need to find some time to get this book in there. It's This one is more like, oh, uh, yeah, if you've you've cleared out your your to-read pile on your nightstand, you need something else, uh, yeah, this is fun. I think you might enjoy this, especially the first book. Yeah. Um, the first book is just fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Um, for so many reasons. And then, you know, if you're really invested in the characters, I mean, you, when you read it, Ryan, like you said, you tore right through them and for good mm -hmm. reason. You were enjoying uh, following along with these characters. Uh, so we can poke all the holes and make all the fun that we want of, of how it ended up going, you know, from our kind of perch. But in the moment, in the thick of things, I think it's plenty fun. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Anyway, I think uh, that'll do it. So thanks, everybody, for listening. This concludes our Gentleman Bastards uh, sequence. sequence. Thank you, Ken. And uh, next up, we have Farseer. That's what the red... Uh, are we the red team just by default because they named themselves the blue team? Unofficially. Officially. We could take any color we want, I guess. But Whatever. Puce. Whatever. Yeah. Puce team. If, we're, if we're red, then I, I'm calling red five right now. Dibs. 
<laughs> uh, that's fine. Uh, Red leader dies, right? I'll take that one. Um, cause I kind of want to now. So <laughs> that makes Kyle wedge, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I'll call him wedge salad. There you go. So uh, wow. Back there. You can't do any more good back there. <laughs> oh man. I'm trying to close this out. <laughs> and uh, I guess it's my fault for getting on the red team tangent. So we'll be doing the Farseer trilogy, I guess is the, the lots of, lots of books, but the initial trilogy is the plan right now. So that's what will be coming up. And uh, Ken, the blue team is doing what right now? Dresden. We're still into Dresden files. You can look for full moon book two in the Dresden files. Coming awesome. Up after, after episode, episode 200, 200. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we are planning to record this coming weekend. Holy so uh, this one, it could be a big enough episode and a, a difficult enough one to edit that maybe it'll take a couple days for me to get it all out to you. So like this one, it may be later, kind of in the middle of the week, but we'll see. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show, the legendarium.reddit.com to join the conversation. Hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, and I guess if you want, on Instagram, whatever. And uh, YouTube. I oh, forgot yeah. YouTube at the top of the show. <laughs> I forget YouTube every day. I need to do more things on YouTube. So Don't we all? Um, Don't we yeah, all. Bug, bug me about that. I'll do more stuff on YouTube if I just remember. Oh, and Twitch. Ryan and I yeah, are on Twitch now. Twitch. Oh, we started oh my gosh, we have... Is that what it's called, twitching? twitching? I have no idea. You guys are twitching. We're, we, uh, <laughs> the friends that twitch together, twitch together. <laughs> um, and that's just, and that's just accurate. So, okay, thanks guys. We'll talk to you in a week. Bye-bye. <laughs>